will you uh, pray with me? Father, I pray that you would please be pleased to please let us preach. First of all, for your glory. Also, for the edification of the saints. And all, also for those who are outside that wondrous love of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You've got something I don't have. In fact, you've got something that nobody else in this whole building has. It's wonderful. It's unique. And I guarantee it's very important to you. And uh, because it's unique, nobody's going to know you've got it unless you tell them about it. On the other hand, if you came here to this morning to worship God, you've got something in common with, I'm guessing, most everyone here. And that's Jesus. Now, this might be the first time you've come to Providence Bible Church, or you may have been coming here for 20 years or more. This is something you need to know no matter how long you've been coming here, short or long. You can look on our website and you can find what I'm putting up on the, the screens here this morning. It says, and I agree with this, Providence Bible Church exists. There are five purposes for this church. To worship God, to grow in discipleship and fellowship, and to serve one another and the community. Did I say five? That's four. Oh, yeah. Sharing the gospel. That's pretty important. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. But I'm going to be getting to that thing that you've got that I don't have, that no one else has got. I'm going to talk about that as well. Now, there's a bulletin insert that you should have gotten if you got a bulletin, and it will have verses listed there, and you might find the translations there are a little different than what goes up on the screen. We got a little uh, glitchy with the computer, I guess. But uh, I'm going to read the verses from uh, what you have in your bulletin insert. And you'll find this verse... We speak the truth before God as messengers of God. And then an, another verse from 1 John 5.10, I want you to think about this, being messengers. You are God's messenger. God, or J John puts it this way, those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. We are messengers. You are a messenger, and you have the message of God that he has placed 
within you. Now, this thing that you've got that I don't have, it, it's your life story. Uh, you have a story that's different than mine and different than anyone else's in this whole room. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, uh, about that testimony and how it makes a difference in your life. Peter says that you were chosen by God to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the right, excuse me, of the night and day difference he made for you. You're to share your personal story, your personal experience. Now, if you've ever gone to court and been a witness in the court, I did this this last year. I had to be a witness in a, in a court and, uh, yeah, it was a little intimidating, a little scary. I had to raise my hand and swear that I was telling the truth and all that stuff. But we're called to share the truth. We're called to be witnesses. Now, all I did is tell my story, what happened. There were attorneys in the courtroom that... Uh, that argued the case. They... Uh, they proved the truth, or pressed for a verdict. But Jesus said, you're to be witnesses. He didn't say, you shall be my attorneys. You don't have to prove anything. You just tell your story. And there's no way anybody can refute this because it's yours. It's what happened to you. You may not be a Bible scholar. Uh, doesn't matter. But because you're an expert, you're an expert on your story. And so that's what you are to tell. You don't have to give a sermon. In fact, I think a lot of people are biased against sermons. You heard people say, well, you're preaching now, like it's a dirty word. But you know what? If I tell people as a preacher, yeah, I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm a professional. It's my job. It's what I do. But if you tell somebody your story... You're just a satisfied customer. And they're probably going to be more likely to be, believe you than they are to believe me. you got more credibility that way. And again, I'm coming back to Peter a lot this morning. He said, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. And I've seen it done in, without gentleness and respect. But we need to do it. And here, here's how to do it. You want to tell your story? I don't know what your story is, but I'll tell you how you can tell your story. You divide it into, uh, into four parts. Um, the, the first part is, what was my life like before? Fill in that blank. Before. I met Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. I was a pretty good kid. I mean, the first time I went to church, I was carried in in my mother's arms. And I went to church ever since then, even from being a baby. And I was a pretty good guy, but you know what? I grew up, I was a teenager, and I didn't really have any kind of a relationship with Jesus I kind of knew what church was about, but I didn't really understand it. 
One time we had Nicky Cruz. I don't know if you ever heard of him, a famous gangster years ago. This is crossing the switchblade. And I heard him talking, and I thought, oh, man, what a wonderful testimony. He, he was a, a gang leader. He was a drug dealer, uh, all, all this terrible stuff that God delivered him from. And I thought, man, I wish I had a testimony like Nicky Cruz. But you know what? If you grew up in church and you didn't really understand what church was about or having Jesus in your life, do you think there's anybody else that you know or might know that's had an experience like that? I'm guessing there's a lot of people like that that might be able to relate to you. Well, that's you got to tell your what life was like before you met Jesus and then how you realized that you needed Jesus. You realized is the key, key word there. And it can be a whole lot of different things that make you realize the need for Jesus. For me, growing up in the church, I was 15, I think, when I was converted. That's when I date my life back to. Um, but it, you know why I realized I needed Jesus? It was an accumulation of dozens and dozens of sermons that I heard. And it finally added up and made sense to me one night. And it was during a sermon. And I was sitting there in the balcony of our church with John and Chuck, and the three of us teenage boys got up and walked out of our seats down, down the staircase down to the altar, in the old-fashioned altar call. But it doesn't have to be like that. For some of you, it might have been a parent sitting you down and explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Uh, it might have been a friend. It might have been over the, a backyard fence. I know a guy who was a, a trucker, long-haul trucker. And and Tom was bored, and he's having trouble staying awake, Turn on AM radio, and there was an old-fashioned preacher on there. And that's how he realized that he needed Jesus. I knew a retired psychiatrist, of all people, who got interested in a book and started reading it. The book was called Evidence That Demands a, Ver uh, a Verdict. Some of you, have you heard that book? Yeah. He started reading it, and... and uh, he realized that there was a need in his life for Jesus. So what was your, this is your story. How are you going to tell it? What your life was like before, how you realized you needed Jesus, and then number three, how I, you need to answer this question, how I committed my life to Christ. Your life, committing your life to Christ. Do you all know what I mean when I, when I say that, when I'm talking about? I see the heads done. Sure you do. Do you have any people down the street from you, at work with you, in your classroom with you, that if you said, I committed my life to Jesus, they wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. Am I right? Well, you need to explain how you committed your life to Jesus. What do you mean by that? You know how the trucker committed his life to Jesus? He's driving down the road in an 18-wheeler. And the preacher says, okay, pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus. And Tom's in his truck and he says, dear Lord Jesus, 
as he's bouncing down the road, and he prayed what is referred to as the sinner's prayer. The psychiatrist that I mentioned, he came to, to commit his life in steps. And he said at first, as he told me about this, I didn't believe in God. I was an atheist. He was not only a psychiatrist, he was a Freudian psychiatrist. And God saved him. But he didn't believe in God, and then he did. He didn't believe the Bible was true, but then he came to believe the Bible was true. And he believed that there was a Jesus, but he didn't think he was anything special about Jesus. And then he came to the point where he said, I think Jesus was the Son of God. He was unique. He was one of a kind. And then he, he told me, and then when I went to bed at night, I'd say, Dear Jesus, save me. That was it. That was his prayer. Next night, he'd go to bed. Before he drift, drifted off to sleep, he'd say, Jesus, save me. And he kept doing it. He said, Lanny, I did that night after night after night. I'm not doing it anymore. You know why? Jesus, save me. And, and it could be as simple as that. I don't know. I don't know your story. But how did you commit your life to Jesus? If you're going to tell your story, you're going to be able to need to explain that a bit. And then the fourth thing, the difference it has made. Well, I can imagine that it's made a world of difference in your life or in the life of a lot of different people uh, you, you already know about. But what was the difference in your life? What was the difference that it made? Well, you can explain that. Now, you know, you know that you can have more than one testimony, don't you? This, this would be like a testimony of how you came to Jesus. But as you live your Christian life, there are other things that happen that become part of your story that you can tell people. Now, I have a hobby, and my hobby is woodworking. And this is what I do. I buy expensive hardwood lumber. I take it down to my basement, and with expensive machines that my wife can't believe I spent that much money on. I take this lumber and I turn it into sawdust. And that's what I do for fun. <coughs> so I was working on a little project the other day for my daughter. And it's taken me forever to do this. And, and I needed a tool. Actually, it was a drill bit. It was a specialized drill bit. And I knew I had one. And I couldn't find it. But I couldn't proceed in my project until I found it. And I looked everywhere. I took a half an hour looking through my, you know, you got to shovel that sawdust away. Uh, and looking everywhere for that one little screw or, or, or drill bit. And I couldn't find it. And, and, and I've got bad knees, and that's why I'm sitting on a stool this morning. Um, I know you're thinking, I can't stand your preaching either. Uh, anyway. <laughs> And so I, I sat down in a chair to rest my knees, and I thought, oh, Lord, this is going to sound dumb. But I, I had even looked on Amazon. It was going to cost me 18 bucks for another replacement. And I said, Could, my favorite verse of the year is, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is Second Chronicles 20. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, help me find this stupid drill bit. I'm going to look one more time, and that's it. And then I'm going to go to Amazon and spend the 18 bucks. So I went in, I looked at the shelf I'd already looked at, 
and there's a box on the top there. And I took it down, I opened it up, and you know what was in there? There were two of them in there. And I thought, Lord, I got to go tell my wife what happened. And she said, you know, you really ought, you're preaching Sunday. You really ought to tell everybody. I thought, that's too stupid. That, that's what happened. But you know what? It's not stupid in that there are a lot of things in life like that. I don't know what to do. And I pray and the Lord directs me. And it could be a big, that was a little thing. But there could be big things and there could be big things in your life. And people would love to hear about them. Because they're part of your story. Now, your, your story includes your testimony, but your story also includes your life lessons. Uh, let me ask you a question by a show of hands. How many people have learned something in the last 20 years? Thank you. I see that hand. Your friends will wait in the bus. Okay. Anyway, uh, how many of you learned something? You don't have to raise your hand anymore. How many of you have learned something since you became a Christian? And then as you grew in Christ, we're constantly learning things. If We, sh we should be at, at any rate. A in fact, uh, you'll see a verse in your insert there that says, God, give me lessons for living so that I can stay the course and keep on going. My little workshop prayer and experience is a little tiny thing, but it helps me stay the course. You know what? Uh, life is too short to live by trial and error. We need some help to learn some things. And, and uh, Proverbs 25, 12, uh, this is a great verse. And in another translation, it says, a, a warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than jewelry made of the finest gold. And it, and it is. We need to listen to one another. We need to learn from other people's experiences. And you need to ask yourself a few questions. You might jot these things down uh, as you answer them, because your answers are going to be different than somebody else's answers. What has God taught me from failure? through waiting, through illness or disappointment? What has God taught me through my family or, or from my friends? You want to learn something? Get married. <laughs> Have kids. You'll learn a, a few things. How about my church, the people I fellowship with? Here's one for you. What have I learned from my critics? A critic can be one of the best teachers if, if you'll listen to them. So think about that. Your life story is another thing. Here's the third thing. Your life story includes sharing your godly passions. How many of you are passionate people? No, don't raise your hand. You're passionate people. But, but look around that next person. Take a look at the person next to you. Are they, are they look passionate to you? I, I love to do this when husbands and wives are sitting next to each other. <laughs> you get the greatest expressions, uh, you know, especially when they, they're newlyweds. They're, they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> or as you get older, it's like not so much. Uh, but I'm telling you something. If you talk to any person for a little while, 
their passions are going to come out. I, I know a guy in our church who, who's passionate about hunting geese. I know another guy in our church who's passionate about 1960 Chevys. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but ask around. You might find out. We could be passionate about our kids or, or just children in general. Or uh, we could be passionate about older kids, students, or married couples. Or it might be kind of a group like an inner city group or, uh, or inner city work. Uh, it could be teaching or maybe working with people with some kind of an addiction. Ooh, not everybody's a cup of tea, but for some people, you might be really passionate about that kind of thing. It could be a cause or a problem that you see in our community or in our society. Uh, there are a couple of verses that uh, are really good. That's not one of them. It's a good verse, but uh, uh, in David says that a zeal for God and his work burns hot within him. That is so cool. Jeremiah says, a zeal for God and his work burns hot within me, uh, and hot in my heart and bones, and I cannot remain silent. Often this comes from our own experience, maybe difficulties or troubles that you've had, uh, it might be a good thing, or it could be a bad one. It could be maybe a problem with alcohol or drug addiction. You might have gone through some kind of abuse or depression or disease, and, 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 and you feel passionate about helping people who are struggling where you struggled. That could be your passion. It could be all sorts of things. It could be a passion that takes you somewhere else. You, you're passionate about global missions or urban areas, you might have a passion for hope for Appalachia, which we'll hear about a little bit later in the service today. It could be all sorts of things, but you're, you've got to figure it out. You've got to think about it. I can't tell you what it is, but the Holy Spirit can and will if you take a little time to talk with him about it. So ask God to give you a passion that he can use. And th the point is that when you have a passion, you're going to talk about it. When you're really excited about something, it's going to come through. And here's what God can use that. That's the only reason I emphasize this. God can use your passions. Okay, here's the fourth thing. Your life story needs to include the good news. Uh, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 1 and verse 17 says, The good news shows how God makes people right with himself, that it begins and ends with faith. That's what Bo was talking about with the communion service earlier today. The Lord's table, we refer to it as that. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message that he's given us to tell others. 
that gospel, the good news, that needs to be part of your story. And you need to be include that when you tell your story. Now, this is where people go, oh, well, man, I, I don't think I can do that. Well, you, you, don't, you don't have to tell, try to tell people everything that you've ever heard in a sermon. It might just kind of be a part of it. You might not have time to do it. You might just be talking. Imagine you're talking to somebody in an elevator. How much depth can you go into in an elevator ride? You know, but you can say something. And and let me tell you what I'm talking about by the good news. It really it is not difficult. Uh, oh, I've got lots of stuff. There's so much stuff up, but here it is. Uh, the gospel. It's as simple as ABC. Some of you have heard this before. A. Admit you're a sinner. That's the first step. I mean, doesn't the Bible say something about that? Uh for you know this verse, you can you memorize it. Uh, we we're nobody's trying to remember it here. Uh, yeah, we all fall short. Uh, all have sinned. And if you don't believe that, you know what? This is the only truth that is verified on the internet and in newspaper today. We are totally sinners. I mean, it just comes out. It's just absolutely so clear. And we need to admit it that we're one, too. I love in the, it's it's decades old now, James Kennedy down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, came up with what he called evangelism explosion. And one of the first questions you ask is, if you should die, God forbid, and you're standing outside the gates of heaven and you hear a voice and you realize it's the voice of God, and this is what God is saying to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I graduated high school. GED, but that counts, right? Uh, uh, or, you know, I went to Sunday school. You might have taught Sunday school. That's not going to open the gates. Well, you might say, I didn't do everything bad that I thought about doing. My little brother survived. You know, those are all good things. Yeah, but that's not the thing that will open the gates. There's only one thing that opens the gates. Jesus Christ. <coughs> well, the second thing is, it's ABC. Admit you're a sinner, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you say, well, believe what? I, I, I don't know what to say about Jesus. Well, you know, you don't have to believe a whole bunch of stuff. You know, you may not be able to explain the Trinity. You don't even need to know there is a Trinity to be saved. 
How about Jesus? Oh, you ready for this? I saved one big word for the sermon this morning, the hypostatic union. But the other word is hippopotamus, but I couldn't work it in. Um, but here's what you need to know. First Corinthians 15 is a huge help on this, that there was a Jesus, just as the Bible said there was going to be Jesus, and that he came and he lived a life, a sinless life, and that he was crucified, dead, and buried, and he rose again on the third day. And in him, there is life. So that's what I need to know about Jesus. That's the doctrine that you need to know to become a Christian. I hope after you become a Christian, you learn a little bit about Trinity and hypostatic union and all that stuff. But what you need to do, there's a third step here, you need to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Now, I think that implies repentance. And I hear a lot of people telling their story. Not a lot, but I hear people tell their story and they don't say anything about repenting. But if you go into Jesus, you know what that means? You're leaving something to go to him. And you turn from a life of sin, not to say you never goof up or sin again, but you turn away from making a living at sin to Jesus, and that Jesus is the most important thing to you. And that's where you're headed in life. Now, if this is too complicated, I can do it in two steps. The gospel is as simple as do versus done. Bill Hybels came up with this one. Most world religions are based on what you do. You do enough good stuff. You obey enough rules. You don't do these other things, but you do this, do that, do the other thing, and hope that you'll get a payoff when you die. That's what most world religions are like. The exception to that is Christianity. It's not what you do, but what Jesus Christ has done. It's all in Jesus and what he's done. So that's a way of sharing the gospel. That wasn't too hard, was it? And if people want to ask or know more, that's good. And if you don't know what the answer is, say, uh, I, I know a couple of people that might be able to answer that better. Let me get together with them. I'll get back to you or invite them to come to church. Uh, or pursue it at another time is what I'm trying to say. And why should we do this? Well, the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one, Jesus, died for all. And that if you don't come to Jesus, you're not going to go to heaven. It's as simple as that. Let me give you an illustration. If you went over to the neighbors for a while and you came back, and all of a sudden, to your horror, your house is on fire. I'm talking about the roof's starting to cave in. There's flames shooting out the windows. It is really, it's the whole thing's going to burn down. And you realize, I left my wallet on my bedroom dresser, and it's got $50 in it. Would you run into a burning house to get $50? If you would, they've got a word for you. <laughs> It would not be a smart thing to do. But let me change the story. What if you came to your house and it was on fire and your child was inside of it? 
know, it's like, you're not going to keep me out of there. Why would you do that? Because the life of that one person is so precious to you, you would do anything to save that life. And that, that's a good thing. And, and I'm praying that, that God would give me that kind of a passion for people who are lost. They're not in a burning house, but they're headed towards, I'm just going to say it, a burning hell. There is no fear in love, my friends. Perfect love drives out all fear. And we need to pray that God would infuse us with the love of Jesus so that we care so much. We'll do things when we know we should. You know, is sharing the gospel with someone scary? Well, you bet it is. <laughs> it's very scarce why we don't do it very much. But it's so important. It's life-changing. It's eternity-changing. So we must keep working. We must keep trying. We keep sharing our story. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promises as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. Okay, so, so what could you do? What can you do about it? That's, that's the point of this message. Well, could you tell your story? Doesn't have to be 30 minutes long. You can pare it down. It could be 30 seconds long. If you want to just hit the high points, um, could you invite someone to church? Could you give them a Bible? Mike Webb right over here. I said, Mike, do you, guys, do you have Bibles that people could have to give to unsaved friends? He goes, oh, you bet. See Mike, he'll give you a Bible to hand to somebody. That'll work. That'll help. Maybe an action, an act of kindness. Maybe pray for them. You ever have somebody tell you about something bad in their life, and you say, hey, can I pray for you? I do this, and I have never once, I don't know how many times I've done it, I have never once said, had, had someone say to me, no. They, they say yes, and they appreciate it. I, I did have one guy say, you mean right here? <laughs> In front of people? I said, well, I'll, I'll pray for you later. When I'm by myself, I'll pray for you. Yeah. I want you to use your... Do you have sanctified imagination? I hope you do. I do. I, I think about stuff. Imagine you're in heaven. That's good. And you just got there. And you're walking around. You're looking at the paving in the streets. And you're going, it really is gold. It's amazing. I got to go back and take another look at that gate, that pearly gate. And someone walks up to you. You didn't see them come, but they come up to you and tap you on the shoulder. And you turn around, and maybe you recognize them, maybe you don't. 
and they say, do you remember me? You're the reason I'm in heaven. Because you gave me a Bible to read. You prayed for me. You shared your story with me. Can you imagine something greater than that? Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful? I can't imagine anything more important than eternal salvation to a single solitary person. That's why we need to tell our story. Okay, remember those five purposes that I, I shared with you earlier? Um, worship. You think we'll worship in heaven? Well, yeah, big time. Uh, uh, how about fellowship with one another? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing people that have preceded me in going to heaven. Do you think about well, discipleship or growing in our knowledge, in our experience with God will grow when we're in heaven? I think so. How about serving, serving other people? Oh, I think there'll be a lot of that going on. But that fifth thing, evangelism. There won't be need for evangelism. You won't be there. No one else would be there without it. So here's what I want to say to you. I think evangelism is the only thing that we can do on earth that we cannot do in heaven. And that's why it's so important that we do it. And it doesn't have to be that hard or difficult. We don't have to persuade. Like I said, we're not attorneys. We don't have to persuade or convict. We just tell our stories. We're witnesses. That's what we need to do. And, and to some extent, we need to be able to explain the gospel. We not, might not be really good at it, but we can all kind of awkwardly say as ABC or do versus done and keep, get people kind of thinking along the right track. And so I'm just asking you to walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. And, and, and pray about it. Lord, thank you for the time we've had together. Thank you for your word. I, I'm sorry we get so scared about it. We get so apprehensive and nervous and we're all afraid of what somebody might say or think. But help us just to tell our story. Help us to be passionate about what you're doing in the world and that we can be a part of it. Lord, I don't want anybody to feel guilty. Uh, I just want them to be full of your love. I want to be full of your love, and I want to make a difference for you, Lord. So I, I think most everybody here can agree with that, and I pray that you'll help us all to do it. And uh, we'll trust you for the results. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.